iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Welcome to The Ruck, the rugby podcast from The Times and Sunday Times. Thank you once again for joining us. My name is Alan Dimmick and I'm in the hot seat this week, so we thought we'd bring in a rugby powerhouse. Uh, we've got the Bob Dylan to my DJ Otze. It's Stuart Barnes. Stuart, how are you? Like a Rolling Stone. Oh, perfect. Did you enjoy this weekend of rugby? Yeah, again, I, I think uh, for all the problems off the field... I think we're potentially seeing a new golden age of attacking rugby. I think it comes from the uh, concern with concussion crisis. I think there's far less attempt to double tackle. We're seeing so many offloads. So we're seeing the pace of a game rising. We're seeing fewer people diving off their feet at breakdowns. Um, it's quicker rugby. And when you get quicker rugby, you get attacking rugby. Saracens were were fantastic. London Irish for 40 minutes will make mesmerically good in attack. And for all its errors, it was a pretty exciting game on Sunday between Harlequins v Northampton. And this is what we're getting week after week. So on a positive note, we're going to jump into all of that. We're going to look at the, the Gallagher Premiership results and talking points from those games that are exciting stuff. We're then fortunate enough to be joined by Christian Day, the head of player affairs at the RPA, to talk us through the latest of what's going on with the Worcesters Warriors saga and especially from the point of view of the players. We'll also have a brief look at what's going to happen with the Women's Rugby World Cup, which kicks off this week. And we finish by naming our god or goddess of the week. But first, let's talk about the rugby. Stuart, you mentioned them, so it's, it's probably worthwhile starting off with them. Saracens, demolition of Leicester Tigers. This was the, the two finalists uh, of the Premiership last season, and you would have thought, particularly the way that that game went, that these are two well-balanced teams going head-to-head, possibly some would assume similar values. Um, but as we've seen this season, it's anything but predictable. What did you make of that game and the performance of Saracens? This is one of the best club performances from an English team I've seen in a long while. I thought Saracens were absolutely outstanding. Uh, the total number of points surprised me, not the vengeance. Saracens are a club. Um, they have a sort of Christopher Marlowe-like obsession with <laughs> plays that end in blood and vengeance. Freddie Burns was given a horrendous time and played quite well, actually. <laughs> um, but Saracens, it, it summed up that Saracens were after blood. And that was coupled with a new look to the way they're playing. Um, Harlequins, Gloucester, uh, Leicester, every game 
Um, we're seeing very quick ball. Um, Owen Farrell's um, playing with an understated control, the like of which I haven't seen from him in an awful long time. He's very mature at fly half at the moment now. Uh, and they're, they're bringing their back three into the game wonderfully well. Um, Vunapola is back near his best. Theo McFarland is is, is uh, a revelation right now. It is early stage. And I was joking with someone when Arsenal beat Tottenham 3 1. As an Arsenal fan, I said, <laughs> Give us the title. Give us the title now. I was wondering when you were going to bring up the North London Derby. Yeah, 24 hours later, when Man City put six on Man United, I was a little bit quieter. But I, I felt like that uh, when I got home from Brentford Saturday night and I, I sat down to, to watch the Saracens game and I'm just thinking, who else? You know, who, who can beat them? They're developing, the, the strength and the depth is coming back. They they look out on their own and, and they've gone from being a team 10 years ago who box kicked everything to a team uh, who played some lovely rugby but concentrated on territory and possession to be in a, a very complete team now. And I would say that, you know, this has to be the foundations for the England team. I'll tell right you what, now. that is a really interesting point of view because, and particularly on style, uh, I wrote a piece about this last week looking at the, the data for pressured kicks, kicks that were sent up by a team that they sent uh, someone to go after and either compete for it in the air or at least get in the eye line at worst of the of the catcher to try and pressure them into playing somewhere else and Saracens were head and shoulders well not head and shoulders they were but they were out in front you know 58 times compared to Leicester Tigers 54 for example and they were you know uh, above them and Sale were above everyone else it was a hallmark of how they played last season you look at how they're playing now and the pressure is coming from elsewhere on the park and you mention Owen Farrell, he must be delighted with being able to feed Elliot Daly, for example, the form he's in at the moment. And Ben L is just doing what Ben L has done for the last couple of years. Um, it's just exciting stuff from them. I'm glad you mentioned Theo McFarland. I know we gave him a lot of credit last season. I reckon that guy could pickpocket an octopus. Just the way he, he plays around the park, his one-handed catches and offloads in the line-out, which is magnificent. It's also... If anyone's ever had the, the good fortune to read Range by David Epstein, it's an interesting study of not being a specialist in a, one specific thing, but having a, a range of influences. And you look at athletes, it's playing lots of different sports. Imagine that there'll be a, a lot of different people looking at Theo McFarlane's basketball background and wondering if there's, there are un, untapped resources somewhere else in other sports. You look at Maddie Levi, who's... Uh, commanding the sevens game at the moment for Australia. She was obviously a professional in AFL and a dancer before that. Broad range of skills. You know, the way that they've developed a player like that, it's a hell of a system to bring in a player like that, Stuart. And it just seems to be at its fulcrum at the moment. Yeah, and the other thing, you know, so next player with a bath side who used to know how to win, it was all about the winning and the camaraderie. If you said to me, who would you like to play for now? I, I've said this for years, it would be Saracen's because of that camaraderie. that That's obvious, but people give them less credit for the sheer smartness. For example, who would, who would be one of England's outstanding players last year, club and country? I'd say Freddie Stewart. I think we all would. Mm -hmm. yep. Freddie Stewart really didn't get a look in until Pollard came on. Burns moved to full back and he shifted to the left wing and, and, and Burns ran back a, a long counter and gave him some space. But when he was at fullback, 
his game is based around command in the air and it brings him into it and it brings Leicester into it. What did Saracens, a team who used to kick everything, do? They hardly put a high ball down the middle. They starved the fullback. And I, I thought that was fascinating. It was the second half before he got a third touch of the ball. That just doesn't happen to Stewart. Talking about brilliant constructed, I, I did find it a bit confusing watching elements of it when it was uh, Van Zyl was passing to Max Malins. There was more stockings than a than a Christmas mantelpiece in that one. Uh, I t- found it hard <laughs> to differentiate between them at points. But um, just looking at Leicester Tigers, and obviously Steve Borthwick came out and said Saracens are the benchmark. He obviously knows Saracens very well, having come through that system there. They're no mugs, Leicester Tigers, but they certainly seem to get a lesson at, at the weekend. And in particular, of particular interest was Pollard, who came on. You said change things, and then he had to head off again with what looks like an injury. Uh, I'm just interested, how do you think Pollard's going to go at Tigers? I've been concerned for a long time. I was surprised to see him back in the field so early, but you've got to remember, magnificent 2019 World Cup, especially in the final. Uh, As a young player, he was brilliant, but he's had some terrible injuries, and when he has played, his form hasn't been great. At Montpellier, despite people saying, ah, well, when you sign a contract and you're off, you get dumped. He was playing third string Mm. before he signed any contract there. Uh, Italians and young Frenchmen were ahead of him. Yeah, Garbisi was up up there, wasn't he? Yeah, when when I did see him play, it wasn't great. 2021, he came back into the Lions series. One decent game, two poor games. He's been, broadly speaking, pretty poor uh, until he got injured for South Africa. Here is a man who's on a, a brilliant player, but for three years, he's been either injured or off form. And if you could tell me that is a that is a scenario to say we're going to be better without George Ford than with him, that's an interesting one. I mean, he's got a lot to prove to himself and to Leicester. His, his style, the way he plays, the way Leicester play should be gelled, but he's got to get his game back. And, and when you see him, start early and limp off again. You can't help but worry. And you think now, at the very best, he's not going to play before the Autumn Internationals. There's a a potential spiral going on here, I think. I suppose it helps when Burns can pull off a chip that Harry Ramsden would be jealous of uh, for for the for the try there. Can we can we talk about your former club, Stuart um, Bath? I just I'm just keen to get your impression on on what you've made of them so far this season because there was a sense at the weekend London Irish played like London Irish can play in fits and starts like London Irish do. You know, streaking ahead, it's a high scoring match. Uh, London Irish 47, Bath 38, and you know, dead exciting stuff. I, I believe you were at at that game. Um, and you know, Ollie Hassel Collins got almost as many tries as he has L's in his name him and, and Loder got a hat-trick each but Bath you know were able to score tries and then there'd be an error like they dropped a kickoff immediately after scoring for example and then and then were penalised further down players are it looks like they're really struggling in terms of forwards uh, having uh, enough stock in the pack they're bringing in four lads from, from Worcester on loan um, looks like that's going to happen what are you making of Bath so far? Well they're a team down on their confidence you can see that uh, they do have some talent. They might be a little bit light up front, but I think confidence is is, is the crisis point with this team. And I would say that having been there, um, London Irish were outstanding for 40 minutes. Mm. Uh, and then they did the London Irish thing. And 
I don't think for all the points and the and, and the Bath scores in the second half, it wasn't exciting because at no stage did you think there was a contest on Bath. So there wasn't a sense Jeff- of jeopardy for you. Yeah, this is a, a, a real crisis. They've got Gloucester at home next week. Um, when you think how close Gloucester came to beating Sarries away, and Gloucester are against their old rivals, they'll be smelling blood here. And if Gloucester come to the wreck and do a number, Bath are in a terrible place again. But I watch other teams and I can see a, a snap and a pace to their game and an enthusiasm to play. Um Bath, there is a sense that they are going through motions. Um, That's interesting. Sorry to to jump in, Stuart. That's really interesting because Johan van Kran's come in, sort of been tasked really of an almost crisis management of turn this lot around, you know, not quite rugby by numbers, but because there's some talented players there, but, you know, sort of play fundamentals rugby and it was noticeable I mentioned I did a piece on pressured kicks it was noticeable that the Bath were, were topping that list in three games played so far this season there was a, a notable some dare I say it very cliched way of approaching it as potentially South African way of, of trying to, to play to try and try and right the ship are you are you not seeing any green shoots at all or is it are they just not enough yet because the players just aren't buzzing about it yet uh, I don't know about yet I think it might be full stop. Um, I won't be um, harsh on my South African friends because they tend to attack me every time I say anything yeah. slightly less than uh, positive. Let's say he's conservative. Um, but these are times at the moment when, you know, I've, I've written it and said it, and I'll say it again, conservative rugby is out of vogue. So Bath have got themselves a by-numbers conservative coach just as the game opens up. Um and I think in the second minute, Jonathan Joseph produced a lovely little offload over and through a tackle. And that's what Bath should be doing. And they're not now. The players now have just got no belief in themselves. You've got to believe in yourself before you believe in the collective. And I think that's that's something that uh, conservative coaches get totally wrong. They believe only in the collective. But the collective works only if individuals trust what they and their teammates are doing. And I see no trust and no belief and I don't know, maybe we're four games into it. Mm. Maybe still the fact that there's no relegation. There's they, 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 they play like there's no pressure and there's no belief. It's if you're a Bath fan, you'd be very worried. And I'd finish that Bath London Irish by saying, but if London Irish can find a way to turn 40 into 80 minutes, they're going to be in the playoffs. Um, both well, they're not winners, far off now. No, no, they're not. Both their winners were our superb players, uh, Hassel Collins and Loder. Tremendous players. Van Rensburg's ability to boss the gain line. He's very underrated, isn't he? Is superb. And, and a word for Tom Pearson. I thought he carried superbly well. And no, if you're just going on form for the England squad, Ben Earl has to be in, in front of him. But Eddie Jones has always made way for a, a, a younger, different talent. And England have got plenty of high-class open sides in that squad. Uh, and Pearson's role there seems entirely justifiable in the same way that Marcus Smith's was back in 2017. Now, we were talking earlier, I think off mic, and you mentioned a stat, and I just thought it was just great to hear a stat come out of your mouth. 174 days, was it, since Newcastle had won? Yeah. 
I mean, yeah, what, I, what a result for them at home. Uh, top, top, top of the table. Sorry, but people won't know this, but producer Alfie is a Bristol fan, and he's just staring at me, just shaking his head. But you know, it's. Uh, I think John Everly from the Bristol Post said as well that it was uh, only the fourth time that the team in the bottom position beat the team at the top position of the mm-hmm. league. So, uh, you know, a hell of a turnaround for Falcons. What, what did you What did you make of them? Because it's they haven't been on fire so far this season, but you know, against a team like Bristol, they just seem to catch Bristol at the right time. Friday nights in Newcastle can be tough, but Newcastle, you know, they got into a losing habit. Um, I would say, this this sounds harsh, but sometimes it's not just the result. You've got to just look at the performance. And this was, I haven't yet seen Sale Exeter. I've seen all the other games and this was by a million miles the worst of them. Newcastle weren't very good. Bristol were, were diabolical. Um, yeah, Bristol aren't, aren't, with that starting 23, they're not contenders at the top. They've had a couple of wins to start. It's early days. Um, Bristol just dropped everything. They, were they did, didn't like, they? Yeah, them and, New, them and Northampton just couldn't hold on to balls all weekend. But Newcastle, they weren't great. They got stuck in. And, and it worked against the Bristol team who didn't seem up for it. Um, I like the Argentine combination in the centre, and I certainly like Carreras and his finish was 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 fabulous. But let's not pretend that Dave Walder can say, if we play like that every time we're at home, we'll build up five or six wins. If they play like that every time they're at home, they'll probably lose more than they'll win. Yeah, it's interesting you talk about whether Bristol were up for it. I mean, I think for me, all the knock-ons, yes. And I think Carl Sinclair had a, a pretty torrid evening uh, as well. But, and, you know, we were looking at Sheedy, Bedlow. There was balls getting dropped all over. But also the interesting thing for me, and the one that stands out, is when Collett scored his try, it was like the parting of the Red Sea. If you're not going to defend the mall or, or get stuck in at, at that part of the park then you deserve to get scored against at this level and that just seemed to be a sort of theme as Newcastle couldn't believe their lucks I mean the the Carreras final try was brilliant but I, 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 I couldn't see how he managed to finish it to be honest it looked it was almost like he was selling defenders with his eyes alone I mean there was a bit of footwork there but it just it sort of I suppose if you're a Newcastle you'll take it at this point and hope that it would be you know we're talking about Bath there and maybe teams just need a catalyst um, you'd hope that this is a catalyst for something more for them. But there's an interesting element of this game, and it's I, I want to touch on it, is 4,000 people rocked up to that game to watch Newcastle play against Bristol Bears. And if you look at some of the attendances this week, uh, it was just, you looked at the way, there were about 14,000 that went to the stoop at the weekend. But if you take that out of the equation, not a single game was touching near 10,000 to go and watch a game. Irish had seven, just over 7,000. Sale had 6,500. Saris was just about 7,000, a little bit more. Now, on the, it, just, it was one of the quirks of the draw that on the other side, the, te- the away teams were teams that traditionally would have uh, bigger crowds. Uh, and it just seems like the, the way that the, the fixture list fell, that the, the, this was not going to be good optics for in terms of crowd. What have you made of, of that uh, and the attendances? A time when... A lot of the rugby is very, very exciting at the moment. I'm deeply concerned. Um, these crowds, you know, we we saw it last year, Newcastle, Sale, 
were 5,000, Worcester was 6,000. These aren't large enough numbers, and not just to sustain uh, a professional cachet of players, uh, but to, to build and, and, and develop the game. Um, you know, from football comes merchandise. So when you get that those sort of crowds, you're not going to sell anything merchant in terms of merchandise. So where does your main income come from? You rely predominantly on television. You know, let's let's park the hedge fund boys, the uh, equity, private equity boys at the moment and look at, at television. They like but, being in the shadows, Stuart, so that's fine for them. Exactly. So we'll, we'll focus on telly and you can't blame telly, but if crowds don't grow... You, you sit at home because you're not going to make the journey from where I live near Bath to Newcastle for Bristol. And the occasion is killed from the start because it's so empty and it echoes. How 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 does sale? Sale are now three from three, but they won't be mm. getting big crowds because when they turn up on the telly and it's a home game, it's such a small crowd, There's there's nothing driving it. And there's not much more that the game itself can do at the moment. It's it's loads of points. Lots of people think lots of points means good rugby. I don't share that assumption, but we are seeing lots of points for, 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 for one group of fans, but we're seeing fascinating rugby for another. And mm. club games as, as healthy as it has been on the field. Um, it's probably as unhealthy as it has ever been off the field. And, London Irish, great atmosphere, but you have, you know, we, we've talked about COVID and what it did to clubs, mm. but this economic crisis we're going through uh, is intense. You know, energy bills, inflation. It's, is it any surprise that people are saying we'll have to quit some of those games, especially, and the other thing we don't talk about is the cost of tickets for Premiership rugby? So I was going to now, jump in here. I was going to jump in here, Stuart, because um, I'm just going to say it's getting more entertaining. But people tell me about how much they pay because I'm quite lucky as a journalist, but I don't pay, and and, and it, it stuns me. You, Take it on, Alan. Well, because a, a mate of mine um, was telling me at the weekend that now the wreck is a place where they can sell tickets to people and they even pick up some transient fans to go and see what rugby's like at the wreck. But a gold class ticket is 72 quid to sit under a cover and have a little bit of hospital and that kind of stuff. Um, I was speaking to uh, Chris Jones uh, from the BBC, head of the Rugby Union Writers Club. He's He's mm. been in France recently and he was telling me that to go and watch Breve play in the top 14, you could sit on the halfway for 29 euros and for 16 euros you could wander around the park and you know be pitch side and that just seems like a, a world away now as i say the wreck is, is an interesting scenario a famous old ground uh, you know there's some diehards that <laughs> that definitely go there through thin and thinner um however you're right you touched on the ticket prices now i'm not 100 percent wed i haven't looked into it enough to say that i'm 100 percent wed to saying that if we we would change ticket pricing but it's certainly got to be talked about more than it is surely well you know <sighs> The majority of people who support rugby are less well off than they were a year ago. Their energy bills are going up uh, with inflation as it is and confidence in their futures as they are. You sense that if, if rugby is to pull fans back, one of the things it needs to do is to almost come up with this sort of, I, you know, marketing drives me mad. It's effectively another word for telling porkies. 
But if you could just say, we're going to help the, 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 the community, we're going to take 10% off uh, ticket prices. You know, and I know it's it, it, and 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 refund ten percent for season ticket to say, look, inflation might be going up and might in November be ten percent, but at least we'll counter that. And and it's a feel good thing. And and right now, I just I just think sporting football football's different. And obviously, you know, everyone wants to go to the Emirates because Arsenal are magnificent, but. Rugby uh, is coming through hard times and it's got to do everything in its power. It's got to get fans. It's got to get fans. You know, if, if they're going to get £250,000 income, which was the amount Gloucester say they lost by not playing Worcester, it's more important to try and do it by having more people and cheaper prices than expensive prices and a few holes and taking a risk. It has to be, surely. Vital for rugby, you know. There's three games a weekend at least on telly. Two of them have got to be having the hair on the back of your neck standing up because the atmosphere is so good, and it's just not that way at the moment. Mm -hmm. Well, let's 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 see how things go. I'm sure our, our good friend Mark Evans will have. We've had a, a quite a well thought out answer about the the finances and why ticketing prices is the way it is, or maybe why people are getting it wrong. Uh, obviously, he's got a, a big job on at, at Fiji, uh, in Fiji with the Andrua. Oh, I'd be interested to get his thoughts. Maybe we can get him on as a, a guest at some point in the near future. It would also be good to find out about his adventures there. But it's 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 interesting times for the for the, the Premiership at the moment because of the, the product that's on the field. Um, let's just briefly mention that, that Sale, you know, you're, you're right. Sale have won three from three and, you know, beat Exeter Chiefs 28-20, so they ensured that the Chiefs didn't get the losing bonus. Um, I've certainly given Sale a little bit of a hard time over the last season or so, saying it's time for them to finally deliver who they're going to be, this new look Sale. Um, and it seems like they've figured something out uh, with what's going on up there in Sale at the moment. Is that fair to say, Stuart? Uh, I, I, I've only seen them once so far in the flesh, and that was at Bath. And they impress me. They're their normal dog itself up front. Mm. Um, but I think the Exeter boys have, have brought another dimension. Hill's playing very well in the second row. Uh, I love Tom Flaherty. I think he should be in the England squad. Um, okay. He's, he's got that Naya Milner scudder ability to do something different that Eddie Jones cited all those years ago. Uh, uh, and I think Sir, when George Ford comes back, if he gets on that gain line and plays like he did 10 years ago, then they are going to be very formidable. And uh, they're certainly going to be there or thereabouts. Yeah, it's a good start for them. Uh, and the last game of the round was Harlequins uh, just so off Northampton, 35-29 Saints. Uh, fairly peppered the self-destruct button when it came to keeping hold of the ball in that yeah. second half. It, the game could have had a completely different complexion if they'd, they'd held on to it. But both of those teams still thoroughly in the mix at this early stage um, and another high-scoring affair. Alan, can I make one other brief point on that game? Loads of points, very exciting, enjoyed the game. But let's go back to attendances. Newcastle was echoing and it was quiet, and it made it seem less exciting uh, than perhaps if you were a Newcastle fan it was when I was watching it on television. 
Now, Harlequins was packed and there was atmosphere and there was noise and the mighty Queen was roaring. You got into the game. Let's flip that one the other way and say, had they had a same size crowd as Newcastle had against Bristol Friday, we would have noticed all those knock-ons from Northampton even more. And for all the points, we wouldn't have turned off our TV saying, that was a hell of a game. Atmosphere counts for so much. Yeah, I mean, that's a fascinating point. It's certainly one to keep hold of. I've always thought as well that when I hear people say... um, oh, I want to see more skill in rugby. There's not enough skill in the world. No, no, no. You want to see more opportunity created by errors or tiredness or or holes somewhere. So actually, when you've got a game like that, married with incredible atmosphere, that's what we want as fans. You've got your sense of jeopardy and you've got someone screaming in your ears. Perfect. All you want. Good stuff there. Okay, next, coming up, we're going to talk to Christian Day from the RPA about the latest going on with Worcester Warriors. So joining us now is former Sale and Saints stalwart Christian Day, who's the head of player affairs at the RPA. Firstly, Christian, how have the last few weeks been for you? Yeah, it's been turbulent, uh, Alan. I think that's probably the right word to use. Um, it's, it's a difficult time for a lot of people in this world at the moment as we, we kind of come to deal with the the repercussions of, of COVID and uncertainty in a number of areas. Um and our members, the, the professional players in England, are, are certainly a group who are, are bearing some issues because of that. So uh, this, we're recording this on a Monday morning. Um, we've seen all the stuff over the weekend with uh, the, the Earthwell owners uh, putting out a statement, um, a bit of animosity at that. But just considering where we are at the moment, I was just wondering if you could explain to our listeners where we are with uh, players at Worcester in particular, um, where what the current situation is today. Yeah, sure. So look, the the players weren't paid Friday, um, so that triggers uh, you know a number of things in terms of the players' contracts. Not least that the players can serve um, a breach of contract at that point, asking for that to be rectified. Um, but I'm sure we've all seen the comments from um, the administrator that there's no there's no belief from them that those will be rectified. So that you know the clock's ticking on on 14 days for the players in terms of their contracts. But we also know this week again, from the administrator, that there's a uh, there's a winding up petition to be heard on Wednesday um, in London, and, and that may supersede everything. Uh, we've got this slightly strange scenario of four-fifths of the club are in administration, but not the, not the portion that, that deals with the players' wages, um, and you'd need someone with more of a financial uh, backing than mine to quite understand why that is, but certainly... If, if things go as we expect on Wednesday with this winding up petition from HMRC, that, that would supersede everything anyway and, and that would affect all members of staff at Worcester. Um, and at that point, everyone would become uh, free agents, so to speak. Okay, so with that, I'm, I'm really interested in the idea of where the RPA, a players' union, stands in this situation because you can only know what we know <laughs> when we know it, but... How far down the line could we see something like this coming? And, uh, you know, was this a surprise to, to players and, and the union that something like this was coming down the pike? Can you prepare for a situation like this? Yeah, I mean, I've seen, I've seen some you know, people on, on Twitter and, and things like that asking about things like, uh, you know, diligence of ownership and things like that. But I don't think that's something that for the RPA to be, to be involved with. That's for the governors of the game. Um, could we see this coming? I think 
a number of clubs are, uh, as I said, bearing the repercussions of COVID. Um, so I think everyone knew that financially, financially, the league has got some some clubs that are, are struggling. Um, in terms of the players' pay, there a couple of instances where pay was either a few days late or there were concerns, but but the players were always paid on time, and that's that's the, the crucial thing in terms of that. So. Yeah, it's fair to say that, that uh, Worcester as a club weren't perfect, but we certainly didn't see this. Um, and then, look, as far as the, the actions that have been taken, we, we very much go off what our members want to, want to happen primarily. And, and I think everyone can see via you know, the various posts on social media that, that the club and that the players are very united. You've seen Ted Hill's comments this week. Even now he's saying, you know, we want this club to survive. So for us, it was giving the club every opportunity to find a, uh, a survival path. Um, we've still got some positive noises. We've still got the administrator saying there are, there are people interested, but, you know, again, the clock is ticking. Um, so, so I just wondering if you could give us a bit of a sense, Christian, about how much involvement the RPA has at the moment, or is it, are you getting a lot of stuff mainly secondhand from the, from the players that you deal with? You know, I don't imagine there's a seat at the table, or, or how much involvement have the RPA had? Yeah, so our, our involvement is primarily with our members, the players. So you know, we, we have a meet today where we'll we'll update on on various things that are happening, various milestones that the players need to be aware of. Um, we we are very much in contact with with PRL, with the RFU, with the administrators themselves. Um, but there are certain things that we 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 simply aren't involved with, and and the process has to take its course at that point. Yeah, and I can imagine that you can't fight off that feeling of being like a commodity in that, that situation your your contract's being shifted about here there and everywhere and it sometimes feels like you're a step removed or or, or is this something that you think will change how you how we educate athletes coming into signing contracts uh, as we go ahead in the future because it's uh, it doesn't seem like turbulent times are going to end when this saga finishes no I mean look in this country we, we're, you know we're, we're currently touring this country at the moment and telling our members about things so we, we know in this country that every player has to sign the standard contract that's a really vital cornerstone of the work we do we negotiate that contract for our members so that we don't have this kind of instability but in terms of the methods by which players are paid that's very much something for, for the player's agent to be aware of and, and then also for the league itself to be aware of the way it's various clubs are structured and, and paying our members. Looking further down the line, there's been a lot of chat, particularly in the, the Worcester scenario, about pay cuts were on the table and obviously you can look at how much a wage the uh, the owners were drawing out of the club at the same time as well and, and, and pose real questions about that. But looking ahead for, for all clubs in the league, do you think that behaviours and expectations of elite players are going to have to change going forward as a sport potentially tightens its belt. Yes, we're expecting the salary cap to rise, but as we're seeing, even with the salary cap at the state it's at at the moment, there are clubs seriously struggling. So do you think behaviours and expectations with players will have to change going forward? I think that, you know, the, the one thing that struck me about the owners, uh, or the ex-owners' uh, statement was it on Friday evening. Was that I'm, I'm not sure now is the right time to be pointing the finger at, at, at players and fans and, and, and other elements like that. In terms of the players' pay, the players took pay cuts through COVID. The, the salary cap currently regulates how much money should be spent on players in the league. Uh, that cap is currently operating at a reduced level because of COVID. Um, I, I truly do think the players are doing their part here. Um, 
I'm not sure this is a case of, and I really do kind of fire back at people who say this is all about the players earning too much money. It's um, the players in this country are, are in a system where the amount of money that can be spent on players is controlled. Um, so as far as the players' expectations, you know, the players have agents, the agents go out to get the best deals they can for their players. And at the end of the day, if, if people are wanting to pay, I'm not sure we should be saying that the players are the, are the issue here. Christian, hi, it's fascinating stuff there. Um, I've been looking at this as a, a player from the dying days of uh, amateurism and, and through to early professionalism and where we are now. And I have always said the commitment, the uh, strength, the speed, the punishment that professional rugby players take makes me argue with anyone who thinks that they are overpaid for what they do. Um, I'm fully behind the players. But on a broader issue, it isn't the question, can the game sustain it? Are we entering an era where you, as representing the players, needs to think realistically? Um it's interesting here, some of that you said there, Stuart. I mean, look, as I said, we are touring the country at the moment. We're addressing groups of players at various clubs and the phrase we use is a fair deal. We expect our members to get a fair deal. And as I've just said to you, in terms of the, the financial spending within clubs, we already operate with a, a cap that's as low as it's ever been in recent times. The players are doing their bit, I keep saying it. Um, if, if there needs to be controls over you know, the extremities of earning, then, then fine. But in terms of, I bet if you went up to the average person in the street and asked them how much they thought a premiership rugby player earns, it would be a lot more than what they do it. Perfect. Uh, Christian, we live in interesting times. Thanks very much for taking the time to, to talk us through some of this and good luck with the upcoming meetings and, and what lies ahead. I'm sure it's, um, you've got, well, you've certainly got your work cut out for you over the next wee while. So, so good luck with it all and, and hopefully we'll catch up soon. Yeah, great, great, great job, Christian, and good luck, definitely. As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Life is full of what-ifs, some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you.
fascinating stuff from Christian Day there. Uh, also, something to fascinate you with. Uh, we'll be keeping you up to date with the Women's Rugby World Cup uh, as often as possible with the Times and Sunday Times. Uh, we'll also have uh, a specialist podcast on the Women's World Cup on here every Thursday throughout the tournament. Jess Hayden will be bringing you all the latest with that. The Women's World Cup kicks off this weekend, uh, Saturday the 8th of October. South Africa versus France, Fiji versus England and Australia versus New Zealand will all be very early in the morning. So keep up to date with the kickoff times for that. Um, Australia, The host New Zealand will be facing Australia at 7.15am. And actually we were told overnight by World Rugby that they're saying that they're expecting over 35,000 fans to go to the opening round of the Women's World Cup. That's a record for a one-off test and over double the last Women's Rugby World Cup title. So keep listening to The Ruck and we'll keep you up to date with everything on the Women's World Cup. Now we turn to God or Goddess of the Week. And Stuart, who caught your eye? Who deserves particular praise this weekend? Dave Walder ascended towards Mount Olympus. First win for Newcastle, but he doesn't claim the spot at the top. You've got to look at the Saracens' performance. It was so stellar. Uh, and I, I thought Daly and McFarlane were brilliant. But my God of the Week is Owen Farrell. Um, because I felt he just played such an understated controlling game. And, and people who listen to this pod and people who read the Times and Sunday Times will know that I'm not necessarily the man who steers the Owen Farrell bandwagon, <laughs> but I, I just love the way he made the whole thing tick quietly. There, there were no tantrums. Um, there was no fire and fury. Those sort of high swinging shoulders weren't there. He played like a classy number 10. And so for that, Owen Farrell is my God of the Week. Okay, for me, I, I toyed with uh, giving it to Tommy Freeman because he equaled Mark Cueto's record of scoring a, a try in eight consecutive games. Stuart Farmer with the statistic there. I thought that was worth mentioning. But actually, from that game at the weekend, Quinns versus Saints, my God of the Week is uh, a snapper, Bob Bradford, who captured a photograph of Caden Murley going over um, and there were three Saints players littered across the touchline, all all prone on the deck, all staring up at him as he dived in for a try. If it's not photograph of the, the season already, uh, I'll be stunned. It was a, a beautiful bit of work. So fair play to Bob Bradford for that. Can I just say there on that, mm-hmm. one of those blokes trailing in the dust was in fact Tommy Freeman, who got absolutely <laughs> done in about two and a half millimetres. So I'm glad you didn't make him your God of the Week. Um, and Good. That's the sort of missed tackle that hurts his chances for England. Caden Murley, what a good player he is. Superb. Well, uh, just like those those players, my legs have just been taken out from under me by Stuart Barnes, but always happy to be in that position with Stuart. Stuart, thanks very much for your thoughts on, on the week that was. Thank you very much for listening to The Ruck from The Times and Sunday Times. As we say, keep an ear out for our special podcast on Thursdays throughout the Women's World Cup. Jess Hayden will be bringing you the latest. And like and subscribe to the podcast wherever you get it. As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. 
Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum.